Mic check. Mic check. It's October 2nd, 2011. This is 508, a show about Worcester. And I think we're having, I think since we've done mic check, this is officially Occupy Worcester. I think it's just us, though. That's Here today at Cook's Pond. Today, my name is Michael Benedetti. Brendan this is Melican. Brendan Melican with a cup of coffee there. Sorry, I didn't bring you one for you. That's, that's, I have enough coffee today. I'm doing great this morning. Today on the uh, today on 508, or as we now call it, Occupy Worcester, we're going to talk about Occupy Wall Street and Occupy Boston. Mm. We're potentially going to talk about city councils, maybe not. Are we going to have Marty Lamb on the show? No, because he still hasn't returned my calls. Um, although he said he would. We're going to talk about transit hub stuff. We're not. Yeah, we're going to talk about the reopening of the FYC. We're going to talk about District Four turnout in the preliminary election. We're going to talk about ebooks at the library. We're going to talk about the Downing Street closure. We're going to talk about Great Brook Valley. Um, we're maybe going to talk about the Roku. I don't know. How are you doing, Brendan? I'm great. Which of these topics are exciting to you to start um, off with? Yeah, I'd like to start with Marty Lamb. I think Marty should recognize that we have. If you look back on the uh, <clears throat> preliminary election in Worcester right, yeah. that we just had a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. uh, and you, then you look at the, the guests that we had on the show that were non-incumbents to come and speak to us, they win. you will find that the overwhelming majority of people that we had on the show are still in the election. Mm-hmm. And Marty should take note of that. I mean, if he actually wants to stand a chance uh, at all, I mean, maybe even be taken seriously for once in his life. I think the this barfer's the given up on politics. I think this is what this represents, him not being on our He's show. He's just not interested in politics anymore. I think it's, I think, and I don't, I don't blame him. He's going back into the novelty gift market. That's right. Marty Lamb, of course, our, our, our Republican candidate in the last U.S. Congress race, known mainly for his association with, uh, again, promotional barf bags. <laughs> I am not kidding. Um, would you rather talk about Occupy Boston first, or would you rather talk about... Uh, we should talk how? about the election a bit, because there, there really okay. isn't much to talk about there. All right. About, with Occupy Boston, with the election. With the election. Sure. So, so we had a preliminary election recently because we had more than twice as many of the candidates as you would need to hold an election in, uh, in, in November. So they have a preliminary to kind of winnow them down. We had a couple of the at-large city council candidates who were like winnowed out of the process and a few of the district candidates. Um, Kevin Kassen actually uh, uh, sent me something. He's going to send me more like novelty trivia about the election, running the statistics. Uh, in District 4, of the city, for example, 36 people under 30 voted in the preliminary election. Um, these are not necessarily like happy statistics or things that you. No, want these to are like. just sort of. He found this to be sort of discouraging. Yeah. There were there were 619. There were only 619 people voting out of District 4. There were only 8,000 people total. Um, 40 percent of them actually were from districts two, four, and five. Districts represent. represent. Like, 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 basically. So that means basically, sixty percent of the people voting in the election were people for, who were from the two districts where there was actually a preliminary race in the on the district level right. of the five districts. Sixty percent of the people voting were from that. So, and District Four had slightly less turnout than you than you would have expected, even in those dire circumstances. Six um, percent, yeah. So six percent of, of of the voters in District Four were under thirty. Twenty six percent were over seventy mm-hmm. by Kevin's. Statistic, which is not, which is numbers that we know, which is that people who are old are highly motivated voters. People mm-hmm. who are young do not vote, no matter sure. what people's dreams as a young politician are. 
Yeah, and you know, I think that what's been interesting <coughs> in the last couple of weeks is the number of folks, uh, you know, pundits and whatnot, trying to read everything that they can into those numbers. And the reality is, I mean, your, your numbers that you're looking at are so uh, statistically insignificant when you look at the big picture. I mean, I think the only thing that you could take away from this is that, gen generally speaking, Worcester residents just don't care about their local <coughs> politicians anymore. Mm -hmm. And as grim and you know, cynical as that may sound, like, that's something that Worcester politicians might want to think about taking note of, that, that you have actually become irrelevant. You know, I mean, more people are watching college football, uh, just about any television program that you can imagine, uh, including us on uh, Channel 13, um, you know, then actually care about what you do every Tuesday. And, you know, the only way that you can, the only thing that you could do to, to explain that is that you haven't done anything meaningful in the last 20 years. Which I think is, that there are things that go on on a Tuesday that are worth paying attention to. They are worth paying attention to, but the outcomes are so predictable and uh, such <clears throat> so uh, heavily uh, based in nonsense that I think people have really just kind of given up on this being uh, an experiment that's worth them partaking in. So the so the idea would be that what the city is uh, is up to is definitely worth paying attention to. The city councilor's role in it is marginal unfortunately right. and, if, and I think you know if you were to pay attention to anything it would probably just be the actions of the city manager because yeah. he see, even though the charter seems to indicate that the role of the city council is to dictate the agenda of the city manager it I'm, seems as though the city manager is doing a fine job just on his own whether you agree with him or not he's we should start referring that to, to that as a controversial pr provision of the city charter because <laughs> the people people the city council at least is not excited about the idea that they would be in charge of they're not excited the about city. that role at all yeah and it's <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, what's crazy, though, is so if you, adding to Kevin's statistics there, I mean, I think it cost us $165,000, roughly, oh. to, to host this election. $20 a voter. Roughly $20 per voter. If you get into District 4, I mean, I, off the top of my head, I'm not going to do the math here, but break down the number of voters who showed up in District 4 and adjust for, you know, what it costs just them to show up and vote. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're only looking at the district, I mean, it's an insane amount of money per person that was spent just to go out and cast a vote. The one thing that drives me crazy, and it's more so now, is, why are we even having, well, one, a preliminary election. All we did was shave two people off. Right. If you've got so few people showing up to begin with, that their, uh, their opinions doesn't, don't necessarily matter because it's statistically irrelevant, <clears throat> shaving two people off, it's almost doing the overall field a disservice, right? I mean, in, in November, you could find that those two people may very well have been <clears throat> the, the best candidates there. <laughs> right. And 8% of the electorate sure. decided, sure. let's get rid of them. Um, the other thing is, why are we having off-season elections to begin with? You like, mean rather than synchronizing our city elections with, with the state and federal calendar, yeah. which happens next year, right? I mean, <clears> and, and you know next year being a presidential year, you're going to have more people showing up to, uh, to vote in all likelihood. There's nothing going on behind you. It sounds like there is. I think I'm just losing my mind. You're just listening to the falls. Um, it's a bird. It's a heron. Potentially a chipmunk. Okay. The, um, I mean, you're, in all likelihood, you're going to have a large turnout for the presidential election in 2012. Sure. Wouldn't it make more sense to expose Worcester voters who are going to come out in droves for that election to a handful of names that they may not actually recognize because they stopped paying attention to Worcester politics years ago. I mean, it would just seem to make a little bit more sense. And I'm sure, I'm not 100% sure about how this works, but I believe that to some degree their costs are offset because the state election calendar versus just a local <clears throat> election calendar. So, so the idea is that if we're going to have elections that people are not excited about, at least we could have cheaper ones. At least we could have cheaper ones and, and, and in theory make them more meaningful because they're being wrapped up with, wrapped into a larger process. Let me say something. Now, I have credibility in this because the last two election cycles, I have gone on this show to say I didn't vote and I didn't think you should vote. You should vote in this election. I'm just telling you right now, you're making a huge mistake if you think that this election doesn't matter. You know, the city council is not as powerful as they could be, but you know what, for the 10 minutes that it takes you to vote, 
there's so few people voting. You have a lot of impact. Like you and the people on your street could really, in some cases, swing these elections. This is, goes back to when we first started doing the show. <coughs> we used to, and it, it isn't so. This much is a big anymore. city. We used to joke about how you, 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 and twelve of your buddies showed up at the city council meeting. You could pr potentially change the course of local government with that low of a turnout. It's not a joke anymore. Assuming it's your actually, buddies weren't city councilors. Assuming your buddies just a little, weren't city, just a little. Well, no, I mean, you could probably talk some of them into voting against their own best interests as well. I mean, it's become such a common theme for them to be <coughs> anyway. voting against the general public's best interests that you might actually be able to talk them into voting themselves out of office now. But, point being, you don't need that many people to start actually influencing local government now. So you're absolutely right, but I don't think it's going to change anything. It doesn't. Well, that's all right. Anyway, I have a lot of hope here. Um... Let's talk about Occupy Boston. So we started the show off with Mike Check. Mike Check. <laughs> which is this? I, <laughs> I wish we. I wish. I wish some of our guests who were supposed to be here to talk about Occupy Boston were also here. Brendan was at Occupy Boston, though. I stopped on a Monday night just for a little while, I and mean, I wasn't really partaking in, in the whole thing. It was uh, just passing through. But what was your impression? Incredibly impressive. Wait, I, Monday night or a Friday night? Friday sorry. night. Yeah. Uh, you know, I work in downtown Boston. <clears throat> um, so I stopped through on Friday evening. Uh, the, the most impressive thing was seeing the Boston skyline covered with helicopters, not from news services, but uh, law enforcement, both you know, mm. local, state, and federal. That was pretty, you don't often see that uh, hovering over the city, downtown, uh, area of Boston. But then getting into Dewey Square Park and just seeing the swarm of people that were there. I think the police department estimated just over 2,000 people, uh, 3,000 from their march down from the Common, um, which took place earlier in the day, and then 2,000 uh, into the night, uh, mostly people camping and whatnot, coming and going. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty inspiring, and all of this in the shadow of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. It's kind of an awesome place to do it. Kind of an incredible place to do it. Yeah. I, I, and in concert I, yeah. with what's taking place in Manhattan, which uh, the numbers are swelling rapidly. It's actually, Friday it seemed to be the their sort of watershed moment where uh, the majority of uh, union support started pouring in, and right. numbers <clears throat> rose from roughly 2,000 people to 5,000 people. Now it seems closer to approaching the 10,000 person mark um, through Liberty Square in, um, in Manhattan, um, and then now spreading elsewhere. I mean, uh, in theory, the Brooklyn Bridge has now been occupied. Mm -hmm. uh, New York City uh, Police Headquarters have been occupied. What's interesting with that is, you know, the New York Police Department seems to be employing uh, kettling, you know, as a you know, term typically only here uh, coming out of our friends on the other side of the pond, but seem to actually be using that uh, mentality now where you've got 700 people who are in theory trapped on the Brooklyn Bridge right now, uh, just being blocked off on on both sides. The same goes for police headquarters. People are just kind of penned off mm. in numbers. Not actually, they're making arrests, but they're not actually putting handcuffs on people because the numbers are so large. They're actually just penning them into areas. Right. Yeah. Interesting stuff. What is your so so this is so this is obviously coming out. The Occupy Boston is obviously coming out of the yes, Occupy Wall Street that's been going on for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. And um, I. You know, I have to say, like, I think it's pretty exciting, both because it's been going on for so many weeks now. It's finally getting mainstream media attention, including this show, as mainstream as it gets. Don't complain the MSM is not covering your protests, because it's right here. It's happening right here. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's pretty interesting that it's, like, this combination... Like, my impression is this weird fusion of, like, anarchists, anonymous, union members, whatever... And yeah, like I mean, all kinds of other folks now filtering in. I was reading that. stories yesterday uh, about <clears throat> large groups of uh, you know recently retired military personnel showing up in their dress uniforms and whatnot. The mm. old lines uh, between protesters and police. It, it isn't, and you know, the more you read, the more you see like disgruntled uh, middle class folks, typically a little bit older. My own demographic saying, "Yeah, this is stupid. Stupid hippies just getting in my way from going to work." Um, 
it's really not that. It, it is actually a, a collection. When you hear the Tea Party talk about it being, you know, them being just a collection of regular people, yeah, it's a collection of regular people. I mean, mm. when I was down there Friday night, it was people in suits, uh, in sport coats, um, as well as people who looked like they could use a, a bath, you know, which, but all kind of on the same page discussing their own personal views on politics. And what was kind of great is you keep hearing people say, well, what's their, what are their demands? Like, what are their goals? And the group itself is just being made up of regular people seems to be willing to acknowledge that we don't necessarily have clearly defined goals, but that's kind of the point because human beings actually need to get together and discuss their problems before you're able to identify potential solutions. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the organic process that's taking place. That's part of the thing. That's, Which, that I would think that that's like at least definitely part of the anarchist influence on something like this too, where it's people saying like, we're, 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 we're excited to organize a protest. We're, we shy away from trying to do too much top down Right, which agenda setting is it makes sense to, <clears throat> to see why in a way it makes sense to see why the average American is confused by that because it's been so long since we've actually had regular people directly partaking in any sort of decision making. You know, we, yeah. we vote 8% of us and then we let those people do their thing for two right. years and we don't really think about it again until uh, another two years comes by. Hmm. This uh, the only real um, demands, so to speak, seem to be uh, trying to engage uh, existing lawmakers into dealing with them directly to start discussing or at least acknowledging that we seem to be in a world in turmoil from an economic uh, perspective and um, something needs to give on that front relatively quickly. And that maybe banks are too, I mean I would say like obviously the idea that banks are too politically powerful yeah, which is, is a big part of, I mean this is like, there's many agendas here but that's like one that seems like a very much a common to be thread. A, a cornerstone that I, and I don't <clears> think there's many people on the planet who should be able to come up with a, a good argument with that. Yeah. If you are going to try and argue that, you're probably going to lose on some front. Mm -hmm. And not in a, hey, you're, you guys are a bunch of dirty commies sort of way. Yeah. It's, you know, we've, we've come to a point where, uh, historically speaking, right, if you look at any sort of accumulation of wealth, uh, disparity in that accumulation of wealth, where we are now is almost immediately always followed by some sort of really, really bloody revolution. Yeah. And you should have learned that in fourth and fifth grade. It's, uh, this isn't something that people are just being crazy and, and socialists, right? They're, yeah. There's actually a problem out there with uh, when it comes to wealth accumulation. One of the things that's come out of this, I should say two things that have come out of this that are interesting to me. One of them is the people's microphone, which is an innovation that, I think this is an innovation that came out of these protests at Wall Street where you needed a loudspeaker to address thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. You weren't allowed to have a loudspeaker. So you would stand up and you would say, Mike check. Mike check. And then everything you would say, you would say, Hello, and everybody would say hello, and in some ways sort of creepy, and in some ways sort of cool, especially for people who are not sort of anti-authoritarian to all be like saying the same thing over and over, especially people they may disagree with. Kind of an interesting like call and not call and response, but like repeating, having the crowd repeat the people who can hear the speaker repeat what the speaker has just said to the rest of the crowd. The other interesting thing is this is framing this as this as the 99%. Right. Yes, the idea that one percent of Americans control of half of the wealth of the country which is and again like just the critique of this idea seems like a common a common part of this the the the, the belief that like even like i would say that like it's not surprising that like some minority of people control the majority of the wealth people just talk about like an, 80, an 80 20 rule for example sure. for various reasons number one a lot of people are not interested really wealth wealth accumulation is not a priority for a lot of people either because of personal preference or they're Christian or some other reason. And second of all, like the skill to do wealth accumulation is not evenly distributed either. So of that percent that want to accumulate wealth, some are going to be better than others. Sure. If 20% of the people control, if 80% of the, you know, if, if it's you have some sort of 80, 20 rule thing, that's like, 
seems like again like socially destabilizing but sort of reasonable sure this like one percent fifty percent thing seems a little bit it on the extreme. can't sustain itself and it's again because you know I, I oftentimes wonder what people think of when they think of like money right but I mean it's there it's not money trees right that you can just grow in your backyard and then someday you'll be wealthy too I mean there's X amount of, of cash out there or you know value out in the world and when people start hoarding that and like you said, you know, most people don't think of hoarding money. You know, most Americans, you know, they're, they're good at hoarding bottle caps and kittens. You know, they don't really hoard uh, cash. Except, but we do have this one small segment of the population that has successfully managed to do that, you know, essentially since the end of World War II. And uh, yeah, that can't sustain itself. And again, I'm not saying that... We, For those of you who think, like, a uh, stupid communist kid, go back to when we first started doing this show, probably, like, six years ago. Yeah. And I was always the, the annoying guy who stood here and made crazy, uh, you know, like, market-based arguments for this everything. Is basically, this is basically still a libertarian show. Yeah, I mean, and, and we're talking about something that has historical precedent, right? You, you remember, like, the old Bastille, right? I mean, the sure. Bolsheviks. This all has to do with people saying, hey, they got more stuff than us, but way more stuff. And making a, a stand on that front, and it doesn't end well. I think what you have here are, are a lot of mostly young people, and I'll, I'll give that, you know, that, and oftentimes that turns off, you know, a more stable population uh, in terms of, like, economic stability. Well, right. But the thing is, that's also a young demographic that's looking at 25% unemployment rates right now. Like, and they stand to go, we go another two or three years, you're going to have an entire generation that will have known nothing but chronic unemployment in its entire lifetime. And we do know, uh, that, as a matter of fact, that... Uh, you know, that unemployment, uh, people who are unemployed become unemployable. So this is chronic unemployment that will all likelihood carry through the rest of their lives, unless something major changes. Right. Wars, <clears throat> big wars, you know, like ones with numbers one and two after them, have started using massive amounts of unemployed young people as a catalyst for those wars. This is it's not good stuff. Let's I mean, like, not have a world war in this country, people. That's what we're saying. And, and again, it's not like it's not really doomsday stuff. This is you know you, you look back at history, and one of the the always the threads that goes along with tragedy is that the majority of the population didn't realize that they were wrapped up into something really really bad, because life is typically okay for the average person. Not terrible. Not great. You're hanging in it's the woods. Okay. You're drinking your coffee. Things are being cool, and then suddenly. Nazis everywhere. <laughs> Suddenly Nazis. And not just at the Worcester Public Library. Just a more general sort of like, you know... Like actual kind of Nazis, through not play Nazis. Not or playtime just Nazis. economic collapse, right? I mean, you know, how many, how many times a day does the average person check in to see what's going on between the International Monetary Fund and Greece, right? Yeah. The EU is like on the verge of, of utter collapse right now. That impacts you as an American, right? It, because our banking and financial systems are all tied together. That's not something that your government, that your legislators stand uh, any sort of ability to run interference on. That could just happen on its own because of wealth inequality and wealth hoarding. That's something that needs to uh, at least be thought about, right? And, and you know, again, I think it's interesting that, that the folks that are at these, uh, these events, they don't claim to have all the answers, but they hope that by bringing people together from uh, different worldviews, might actually start coming up with some solutions. There's a lot of alternatives. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet Occupy Worcester so that it's officially a thing, and um, there it is. And uh, now my neighbors are gonna be really upset with you if hundreds and thousands of people start showing up here at the pond. <laughs> Whose pond? <laughs> the Tatnick Brook Watershed Association's pond. The Novics are gonna be so angry with you. Okay, so. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things. This transit, people, some, several people asked me to talk about WRTA stuff. This is the local bus stuff. So they've announced a couple of things. One is that before Thanksgiving, all the buses are going to have like a centralized tracking system in them. It will be centrally coordinated. 
and you'll like there'll be some sort of thing you can have on your phone to actually like see where the buses are physically this is Worcester? in the city in the city of Worcester by Thanksgiving. Wow. So I mean, Boston has been doing that for a while, but you know, it's I, you know, wouldn't it be more wouldn't, with <clears> the, the the small number of riders that we have on the WRTA? <laughs> wouldn't it just make more sense to ask the police department to start ta- tracking those individuals with their cell phones? Which we should just have a phone a friend service. If anybody needs to know where the number six bus is, you can just call me <laughs> because probably I'm on the number six bus. Yeah, and if we you're not, just, it's just sitting at the end of the street. And I'm happy to handle two or three calls a day, which is what I would get for the number six bus. <laughs> so uh, number so also the also the the transit hub. What's the deal with the transit? Hub. The answer is that they're going to be having like a groundbreaking for this new bus transit hub at Union Station in the spring, and by two on the, sometime in 2013, the year, which is the year after next year, for those of you who don't have a calendar handy, that the, there will be a new transit hub. So that rather than all the buses eventually stopping around City Hall, they'll stop somewhere some some facility in union station can i make a suggestion to the city of worcester and i don't expect you or anybody else to agree with this. i disagree with you i pre-disagree no with you no more groundbreakings i understand why groundbreakings are awesome because that's when the <clears> money <throat> starts coming in and everyone gets everyone in, as a part of the project gets excited but as residents and taxpayers the ones who actually pay for these projects then we tend to just stare at a big hole in the ground for the next 10 15 years or you guys just talk about it at city council yeah. every once in a while maybe bring it up to remind us that the project's still in play instead of focusing on groundbreakings, focus on the ribbon cuttings. I think if you if your thought was no ceremony, ribbon cutting, no groundbreaking ceremony, no groundbreaking ceremony, just a ribbon cutting when it's open, right? When something is done, that way the the, <clears throat> the your eye stays on the ball, and you're only thinking about getting this finished so you can actually get out there. And it's get all your about finishing date. and not starting. The groundbreaking is there's a dude with a backhoe starts cutting into the ground. The press say, "Can I ask you a question?" He says, "No." I mean, watch I'm this. On the clock. You and I could say, Mike, I announced that uh, on this very land, we're going to build Worcester's <laughs> first professional football stadium. And there we go. Now, I mean, the rest <laughs> of the city can sit around for the next 50 years and wait for the football stadium to show up. It's not going to happen. But if you kept your eye on the, the ribbon cutting, then you knew you could clear your calendar and you could just get on with life, and they're going to let us know when it's time to actually show up and be excited about our new football stadium. And I will get back to you when that's built. Very good, very good. Okay. Um, the FYC um, the, uh, is re- has a grand reopening. They're also going to have a consignment store, or kind of a thing like a, thr- like a, like a high-end thrift store for women's clothing nice. in the uh, 420 Pleasant Street. Pretty cool. Um, it, was good to be, it was good to be at the grand reopening. There were, there were like uh, kids and dogs, which I feel is always a sign of life for any <laughs> enterprise. Um, e-books at the library. You know that for a long time you've been able to check out like e E MP3s from the library. Like you can get a weird device which will play back audiobooks for you, or you can even sometimes I guess maybe get a weird device or install a weird program on your computer that you could read novels that you download from the library website. Um, the other day I thought, you know what? Like we all have these phones that will do it now. Can you do it that way? The answer is yes. It's way easier. It's way more convenient. You want to you want to install the OverDrive Media Console on your Android or iPhone device. And then you do not want to use the library website at all. You want to go through that OverDrive Media Console, which will open up a little web browser behind the scenes for you, but whatever. And it'll basically just say, like, give me your zip code, give me your library card number, and then it will, like, give you a catalog, which is frustrating to search, but less frustrating than the library's catalog search. And it will, like, put, like, audiobooks and novels on your phone for free. Head in the right direction. Yeah, well, you know, some would argue that's the right direction. I know there are a lot of uh, paper devotees out there, and, and you know, paper obviously has its role in the world of, uh, of, of books. But. Speaking of which, Ben Franklin had their, their, their going out of business, take our books out of this 
burned down building thing over. Did you get anything? I didn't get anything. I went in and I looked at it and I was like, you know what? Like I have books that I bought from Ben Franklin in the past. I would be sad. Those books didn't all, all smell like smoke. No, it's sad. It was sad. It was sad to see all these like damaged, slight, some of them slightly damp books. Yeah in there um we're just moving fast because we're running out of time and i want to ask you about housing stuff downing street the closure of downing street can you hold this for a oh, second sure. so you know that the as as part of this for those of you who have not been following this the city <clears throat> in order to save face on the fact that it really would like to collect taxes from nonprofits but can't mm -hmm. has this thing it's worked out with the with the uh, colleges called payment in lieu of taxes where the colleges give the city a small amount of money every year which is Theoretically, it goes to the library, but it's not in any way earmarked or does not in any way actually, it just goes into the city's budget and just into a big pool, pool of money and who knows where it goes from there. Um, in exchange for, and in exchange for this small amount of money, the city gives these colleges various land breaks and otherwise doesn't negotiate very hard with them on what the colleges want. In the case of Clark University, Clark wanted to close down part of a street adjacent to the university, which I totally love this idea. People at my parish, St. Peter Parish, less exciting because this would like hurt ambulance access to the parish and the neighborhood and whatever. Um, I just want to say from the parish bulletin, notice from the city of Worcester and Clark University, in order to conduct a traffic impact study on the proposed closure of Downing Street between Woodland and Florence, the city will close off this section from September 12th through October 17th, October 7th. In fact, it has been closed off. It'll be interesting to see what the results of this study are for, for traffic disruption and whatever and whatevs the likelihood not much will change we'll see I don't nope, know. thank Sorry. you sir okay i want to ask you how much we got we got five minutes can we talk about housing in five minutes great brook valley gb gbv run by worcester housing authority ray mariana ray mariana mayor. apparently mostly funded by the u.s department of housing and urban <laughs> development <coughs> um well, there's actually, a, there was a good article in the TNG. There's so many questions raised by this that mm -hmm. this article doesn't answer, but it actually has some good statistics. Um, Ray Mariano is trying to put together a deal which he has to get HUD approval for. I don't know if he's getting any other approval for, which would basically say if you want to live in city-run public housing mm -hmm. and you're under 50, you got to be in school or you got to work right. or you got to be in some kind of training situation, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I mean, for example, so 82% of the, these are single family single parent situations in uh right. worcester housing i don't know if this means that like there's some sort of cheap house chief cheap child care for these guys so that well, these yeah, parents can work or how that works it's one of those things that i think <clears throat> is just a great idea uh, on, on the surface right i mean put people to work give people training and help them put because that was the, the theme of, of the whole idea was not just go out there and get a job you know, lazy bum but like actually helping people get into some yeah. sort of workforce training yeah. to then seek uh, gainful meaningful employment problem being that you know like we mentioned earlier we have really high unemployment right now and if you're unemployed you automatically become unemployable uh, so the idea of the training idea is great but I'm not really convinced that there's any jobs out there for people once they have a new skill set training is not necessarily the problem for isn't necessarily the problem for everybody I mean there's definitely a, certain tool sets that could be lacking in certain populations that see uh, chronic homelessness and we can fix that and I think raise onto something on a high level that makes a hell of a lot of sense this just might not be the economy to work that experiment through. The other part of this too, though, is there, which wasn't discussed very much, and I think partly because it confuses a lot of people, um, there seem to be some uh, strings attached here in terms of, like, say, parents uh, with their kids, where they're going to try and uh, tr tie truancy rates to uh, your eligibility for uh, being in, in public housing. Yes, that you're still, your kids have that if your kids skip a lot of school, they're they're counted as not being in school, and so you don't get. 
You, I don't know. They kick you out of Grape Valley, and you have to get some other kind of public and again, housing. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to read too much into it because the on the surface, it doesn't make any sense to me how, even from a legal perspective, you could base a parent's eligibility for housing on a student's. Let me speak from a, anecdotally, right? I mean, if my parents' housing was was based on my attendance <laughs> in in high school, I skipped roughly two thirds of my senior year. Um, mm-hmm. and, my parents would be wouldn't they would have been evicted from a sewer, you know, if anything was based on my uh, truancy. It just seems like a very irresponsible thing to try and put uh, the burden of uh, not necessarily children, but you know, teenagers, people approaching adulthood on their own, uh, put their their experiences and their uh, responsibility uh, on, that put that burden on on parents who, yeah. like I said, might be single parents actually trying to figure out a way to make ends meet, and now they have this other thing on the side that they need to take care of. We have like a minute left. I'm sorry. No, you don't have to yeah, apologize. No. It's just, uh, there's, there seems to be more problems uh, with this plan than there are potential <clears throat> successes, um, both legal and, um, you know, never mind, you know, just HUD authority, but maybe like Supreme Court sort of, um, you know, Issues going on here. And I wish Ray well because I, I think he is well-intentioned on a very high level. Like you've got, if you have chronic unemployment, you need to figure out what it is that's keeping people chronically unemployed. And, and that takes a lot of work and you got to start somewhere. But. <clears throat> 80% of the people in Worcester Public Housing are unemployed. Which, you know, that sounds crazy until you think, well, that's, there's a reason why people are in public housing. It's <clears throat> in all likelihood because there are yeah. financial troubles there, right. one of which is probably not having a job. Right. Um, that isn't necessary. It's the wrong demographic to look at if you're going to do a study on unemployment. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I wish I knew more about public housing because it does seem like the way that this turns out is that, you know, if, if let's say you're a parent and your kid is like skipping school all the time or you just can't get a job and like I don't know maybe you just have to go to job training forever in that case but like what, hap- what happens when I don't understand I would see if you know about housing public housing you should email us at pinecoffee at gmail.com and tell me and you can we'll have you on the show and you can explain in, this including to us. former mayor Mariano I mean come on and, and talk to us about the place like does this just basically kick a kick a couple thousand people out of Worcester public housing into some sort of other federally funded housing in the city well, and I think that's one of the other issues too so you, you want to <clears> put the screws to somebody and you know, we're short, short on time you're gonna put the screws to somebody to get their act together but what if they don't get their act together then we just soil and green them I mean what is the what's the end game in terms of electrified steel cage match against Mariano to see who survives one man stays in gbv one man leaves <laughs> brendan thanks for being on the show thanks mike check mike check <laughs> <laughs> okay. by worcester folks <laughs>